Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi, Sportsnet 960, the fan. We got a lot to talk about on this Wednesday afternoon. Let's start with the Flames. Game day in Los Angeles as they took, uh, they look for a third straight win on this trip. Mr. Klein seems like a bit of a familiar refrain, what I'm about to say, so we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I'll say it nonetheless. Another one of those games where I believe the result is mostly dependent on which Flames team shows up in this game. Is this the engaged and urgent and desperate-looking team we've seen right from puck drop the last two games? If that's the case, I believe the Flames win this game fairly handily. Now, on the other hand, if this is a team that is feeling a little bit too good about themselves or too easily satisfied after a couple of pretty convincing 6-2 victories, then the doors open for another upset and another game where against the team well below them in the standings, they don't get the result they're looking for. This should be a win for the Flames. There are not a ton of games that you say that should be a win, but this one against the LA Kings, the way that they've been playing of late, the way they've played all season, and knowing where the Flames sit in the Western Conference standings as they remain hanging on to a playoff spot by a thread. Yeah, they uh, they they better they better they can't look at this as a game that they should win, but from the outside. They better win this game is, I think, the refrain. But for me, it comes down to the way this team plays. It comes down to whether or not they are dialed in the way they need to be and the way they have been the last couple of games. Yeah, the the way the Kings have beat the Flames this season is just by outworking them. If you match them effort for effort tonight, you're going to win this hockey game. You're probably going to win it pretty handily. This is a team that is second worst in the NHL, and the only team that's worse than them are the Detroit Red Wings, who are barely an NHL team. So this is talking about they've taken out Boston twice this year. (laughs) That's true. Two of their 14 wins all season have come against the Boston Bruins. Oh, that's crazy. Anyway, wow, five road wins this year for Detroit. Anyway, moving on. LA Kings, not a good hockey team. Calgary Flames should be a good hockey team. This should be easy, but it should have been easy the two times they lost to them so far this season. Because you have done that from a Flames perspective, you cannot take this game lightly. I know they had a day off in Los Angeles. I've heard it's wonderful this time of year. This needs to be a focused Calgary Flames team. Come out with that same intensity you did against the Sharks and against the Canucks, and you should be fine. Come out the same way you've come out against the Kings before, and it's going to be another long, frustrating night that ends with us yelling about things tomorrow on the show. Third straight win is what the Flames are looking at coming into tonight. 6-2 wins. They don't have to win 6-2. Like, if they if they win 2-1 and it's a great goaltending performance that ends up being the reason why they only... Like, yeah, that's fine. Just You need to go out and be a little more urgent. You need to go out and be a little more dialed in. That's what the Flames are looking to do. They will enter tonight as the third team in the Pacific Division. Two back of Edmonton and three back of Vancouver. However... Vegas and Arizona also have the same amount of points as the Calgary Flames do at 64. Uh, The reason why they are behind the Flames would be games played. Flames have played 57. Vegas has played 58. And Arizona has played 59 games. So that's why the Flames are in a better spot than those two teams Mm -hmm. behind them in the standings. But again, we're talking about a very... Any one of the Pacific Division teams in a playoff spot right now is tenuously in a playoff spot right now. Nobody is definitively in the driver's seat. 
and nobody is definitively out of this, at least of the five teams that are competing for it. So that's why the urgency level and the engagement level can't change at any point between now and the end of the regular season. Or at the very least, it can't change in a bad way for extended periods of time. So that's what the Flames are attempting to avoid happen tonight in Los Angeles. We welcome you to Pinder and Steinberg on this Wednesday game day from Los Angeles. Alongside Peter Klein, my name is Pat Steinberg. Happy Wednesday to you. It is an 8 o'clock face-off. This game's on Sportsnet 1 tonight. If you're wondering why Sportsnet 1 and not Sportsnet West, they are televising the Sedine Night in Vancouver nationwide, which I understand. The same way again, the night went nationwide uh, when Calgary and Minnesota played. Uh, they're going to do Daniel Sedine's jersey retirement and Henrik Sedine's jersey retirement nationwide on Sportsnet West. What, we, what can we tell you about tonight's lineup? Well, we can tell you there will be one NHL debut in the lineup for the Flames this evening. Alexander Yellison will make his NHL debut tonight. We talked about this prior to the... Uh, or just after the recall, Kleiner, and said, oh, is, is this guy going to get a shot and get into the lineup? And I think we both thought that there was a much better chance of that happening this time around than any of the other prior recalls. Turns out, if you were thinking that, you would be right. He will debut tonight on a deep pairing with Oliver Shillington. Also, Hannafin with Anderson, Brody, and Stone with Hamannick and Giordano still out. David Riddick gets the start in net for Calgary tonight. And then your forward lines... Sean Monahan between Johnny Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm. Michael Backlund between Andrew Majapani and Matthew Kachuk. It'll be Derek Ryan, Milan Lucic, Dylan Dubé back together. Jankowski, Ronaldo, Reeder will make up the fourth line tonight. Now, uh, Sam Bennett was on the ice at morning skate today, so he might still be a game-time decision for this one tonight, but morning skate lines looks like no Bennett tonight. Ronaldo coming off a two-point night. Kind of tough to take him. Kind of tough to take that entire fourth line out after the way they played against the San Jose Sharks. So that's what you're looking at for this game this evening. Anything that jumps out at you? Yellison, obviously, making his NHL debut. I'm quite interested to see what young Alexander Yellison's all about tonight. Yeah, it said since he got called up that I just want to see what it looks like with him on an NHL lineup. He'll be paired with Shillington, as you mentioned tonight. So apparently... Everything we've heard, a stay-at-home defenseman pairing him with Shillington makes a lot of sense. We'll see how the, the young duo handles tonight. A little surprised that Sam Bennett isn't checking back into the lineup, but anyone you would have taken him out for scored in the last game. So I don't know. That's I, the tough part. It's like yeah. you've, got, you've got a guy who missed a game due to illness, but you're also like, well, do we really want to make any any changes here because of how well we played last game? I I understand not making any changes in this game tonight, despite the fact that you've got Bennett, who is going to sit out once again. Yeah, and from a Flames perspective, it's nice to be at a point where you have players, because I thought Sam Bennett was playing all right um, before he got sick. It's nice to have a tough decision to make instead of, man, who are we going to put in there? So it's, it's nice to get to that point from a Flames perspective. I think Ronaldo fits the style of game this one projects to be tonight, where it could be uh, a little bit more in the mud and a little bit rougher. I think Zach Ronaldo, well, a, a fine skater, but kind of thrives in the, the tougher environment. Not that Bennett doesn't, but I think Ronaldo fits this game 
pretty well tonight. So not not overly surprised, but definitely a bit of an eyebrow raise if Sam Bennett doesn't fully check back in the lineup. Here, uh, here's our good friend Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. If you're interested in Alexander Yellison like we are tonight, here's uh, Pike is pretty dialed in on that Stockton Heat team. Here's what Pike had to say to us on Monday about Alexander Yellison. He's kind of hammonicky in his style. I mean, there's not a lot of high-end offense in his, in his uh, wheelhouse, but, you know, he's a really good 2 defender, loves making checks. Uh, he has good gap control, good movement, and he's just, he's a meat and potatoes, very good defensive defender. He, you know, he probably seems like a guy you throw in your third pairing and give a lot of D-zone starts and a guy you throw on your PK just because, you know, he, he can keep guys to the outside and eat up minutes and give a chance for your, your skill guys to rest up. Uh, so he, he's, he's going to be useful depth. It might be a little bit uh, quick to throw him in now because just because of the speed. I think, you know, usually guys need a game or two to get used to the speed difference between the NHL and the AHL. But He's definitely got some good hockey sense, especially in his own end. So uh, I know the, the Flames, when they brought him up the last two times, it wasn't on accident. It was the idea of let's bring up a guy and sort of show him where he is and where he isn't and what he needs to work on, similar to what they did with Rasmus Anderson a couple of seasons ago where they brought him up basically for all of March and said, watch Mark Giordano and do what he does. I think they want to give him a bit more uh, you know, incentive to work on a couple of things, but he's pretty close. So Luke Elvey, uh, not Luke Elvey, that's, uh, I was writing out our tweet. Try that again. <laughs> uh, so Alexander Yellison, they kind of have similar sounding names. Uh, no, not even a little bit. Alexander Yellison, well, come on, give me a break. Be a teammate. Come <laughs> on. Uh, Alexander Yellison will make his uh, NHL debut tonight for the Calgary Flames. Eight o'clock faceoff in Los Angeles this evening. He's Peter Klein. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're underway on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. It's a big night in Vancouver. They're going to hang number 22 and number 33 to the rafters tonight. And I wanted to bounce this question off you. I'll bounce it off Pinder a little bit later on as well. But, and I know how much Pinder hates these questions because he hates the Hockey Hall of Fame and, you know, kind of the floating criteria for it. But I'll ask you this question anyway. Should Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin go to the Hockey Hall of Fame at some point down the road? I know what my answer is. My answer is yes. I believe that these two are Hall of Fame-worthy players and and should be there at some point. But I'm curious as to where you are on whether or not 22 and 33 in Vancouver, who will have those numbers retired tonight, should be eventually enshrined in Toronto. I I think they should be, yeah, I mean, both of them over a thousand points, I believe. Um, now I'm basing this off of well, Daniel was, so I'm just assuming Henrik was as well. Um, over a thousand points in this league, they were players for the better part of a decade. Every team had to game plan for them on on every single night, and it was it was unbelievable to watch them play. I'm sure from a Flames fan perspective, it was unbelievably fl- frustrating to watch them play. And also a reminder, this isn't just the NHL Hall of Fame. It is the Hockey Hall of Hockey Fame. Hockey Hall of Fame. International um, merits count as well. And internationally, they had a pretty good run as well. So no, I, I think I think the Sedin Twins definitely belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. I think that that, and and I think just if it was the NHL Hall of Fame, I still think they're Hall of Famers. Yeah. But what you said underlines it, and I think that's a really important point. I mean, we're talking about Olympic gold medalists in 2006. We're talking about very distinguished international careers representing Sweden on top of what they did at the NHL level in Vancouver. I know that we're in Calgary, and I know that we're supposed to hate anything that comes from Vancouver, but I'm glad these two guys are being celebrated, and I'm glad these guys are having conversations. There's 
there can be times when, what, regardless of the sport that you're talking about, there can be times where dealing with professional athletes, it's, it's tough to relate to them because they're multimillionaires and you listening and me and Klein talking, we're not multimillionaires. It's tough to relate to their lifestyle. It's tough to relate to them and, and the things that they do. And the, the Sedin brothers in my very limited interactions with them. And I mean, look, I covered them while they were in the NHL. I, I've interviewed them both at different times. I've got nothing but good things to say about how they treated me personally and anybody I ever saw them interact with, whether they knew them or didn't know them. You talk to anybody who covered these two guys during their NHL careers, and they'll echo those sentiments times about a thousand. And what I think really always gets uh, maybe overshadowed, but the work they did in that Vancouver community, which is, yes, we hate the Vancouver Canucks here in Calgary, and it's a fun rivalry and all that type of stuff, but that's a Canadian city. It's it's one of you know one of the great Canadian cities, and and they did they did amazing work in that community. They did amazing charitable work in Vancouver. And what Jerome McGinley or Lanny McDonald or I'm you you think of any of the other flames that Matt Stajan like pe- people who mean something to this community. That's what the Sedins meant in Vancouver. Like you're talking about Daniel and Henrik Sedin meaning the same thing to Canucks fans as Trevor Linden did. And Trevor Linden meant an immense amount to Canucks fans. And so they absolutely deserve their jerseys retired. Here's why I think they believe, here's why I think they belong rather in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Because I don't think we've ever seen players like them in the National Hockey League. Twins that could do what they did and you're right. The fact that they're both over a thousand points, they're both over 1,200 NHL games. Like just from a straight up credential standpoint in the NHL, I believe they belong. Then you throw on top of that the work they did internationally. But for me, it comes down to the fact that they were unlike anything that we've ever seen, and especially for about a, I want to say five to ten year span. There wasn't a line that you game plan for as an opposing team more than whoever the other winger was with Henrik and Daniel Sedin. How they played off one another, how they created offensively at even strength and on the power play, there was nothing like it. And and for me, when when you can do something that we've never seen before in the NHL and you can do it for a long period of time, that for me is a nice credential to get you into the Hockey Hall of Fame. They were elite for a long period of time. They were top of class and among the best human beings playing the game at the highest level in the world for an extended period of time. I know that, yeah, yeah, you're supposed to not like them. It's tough not to like those guys, and it's tough now. They never won Stanley Cups, so you don't have to worry about, like, uh, Vancouver won a Stanley Cup. No, Vancouver, we can still make fun of the fact that Vancouver lost in the Stanley Cup final in 2011 and almost burnt their city to a crisp. And all We can still make fun of all of that. But on individual merit, regardless of what jersey those two guys wore, I believe Daniel and Henrik Sedin belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I really do. I, I would agree, and... You look at, and one of the things we talk about is making the players around you better. They got Anson Carter to 33 goals. They got Alexander Burroughs, a ball hockey player, to 35 goals. 35 like, goals for Alex Burroughs. Yeah. Not bad, hey? So, like, they, they, they made the players around them better. They controlled games like few players before them ever had before. It, it was 
it was almost mesmerizing to watch those two with the puck on a, on a night in night out basis. You know, I, I think merit wise, talent wise, whatever those two are, are hockey hall of famers for sure. By the way, for all the people, for the two or three texts that say they belong in over Theo Fleury, beat it. Have you listened to this radio show before? The amount of times I have railed on the hockey hall of fame for Theron Fleury, not being in the hockey hall of fame is countless. I believe Fleury has belonged there from day one of eligibility. So beat yeah. it. That's a horrible take that says not they don't they don't they don't relate to one another. Me believing that Henrik and Daniel Sedin belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame has nothing to do with how what I believe about Theron Fleury. I also believe Fleury should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I very vehemently believe that Fleury should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He is one of the greats in our game, and I think it is a travesty he's not in there. But that doesn't matter to this conversation. So those are the most infuriating texts in the world. So beat it to those texters. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Theron Fleury should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. And every year around Hall of Fame time, when in whatever form or fashion I get to do a, okay, what's the Hall of Fame going to be? Theo Fleury is the first one that I bring up. Um so no, that, that we are not in any way saying that. Oh, the Sedins were better than Theo Fleury. Shame um, on you guys for that. No, get out of here. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. I can't imagine uh, twisting things that way, but I mean, good on you for being able to do that. Hey, you know what? If you're angry at the world, what about Theo? You guys are you guys are sh- should be ashamed of yourself. <sighs> Anywho, nine six zero nine six zero. Listen, there's a lot of things I should be ashamed for. That that is not a question. But oh. this one, this one, I'm not going to take. Have you seen my internet history? That's <laughs> yeah. what I. Man, I've heard you during commercial breaks. So there's a lot that you should be ashamed for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, what do we got at nine six zero nine six zero before we wrap up the segment? Uh, the Sedins are definitely HOFers in my opinion. I will say this celebration in Vancouver has been pretty overdone. Like, we're just now retiring the jerseys. Feels like this has been going on for a month now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Vancouver likes pomp and circumstance. Yeah. I, will, I will not dispute that. Remember, like, 10 days away until we name a captain. Who the bleep? You just name your captain. Holy cow. Yeah, and also, we all know it's going to be Bo Horvat. Yeah, it's we- not like this was some big surprise. They didn't yeah. name... Tyler Myers, their captain. Jordy <laughs> yeah. Ben didn't get the C. Like, we knew it was going to be Bo Horvat. Uh, no, the Sedins aren't Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike Wright's guaranteed Hall of Famers would be surprised if they weren't first ballot. Their peaks were dominant. Uh, what else we got at 960-960? Uh, I didn't hate the Sedins. Kessler, BX, Burroughs. That's why we, we hated that Canucks team. Bang on. It's, it's so strange because there were an enormous amount of likable humans on that team when they were at their peak. The Sedins, Roberto Luongo might be the most likable NHLer I can remember. Aside from the fact that he was whining about Tim Thomas, I've never really had any issue with Roberto Luongo. And post his time in Vancouver, he's become an absolute caricature of himself, which I love. There were a lot of likable guys on that Canucks team, but they were overshadowed so dramatically by how many hateable humans there were on that team, led by number 17, Ryan Kessler. You know what? Like People bring up Kessler, Burroughs, BXO a lot. I don't know if Max Lapierre gets enough credit for how hateable he was during that run in 2011 because just had that face you wanted to punch, right? Like oh. that's just, And the, the smile and just how smug he was. You, you just, yeah. He he needs he he's definitely up there in most underrated for punchability on that Canucks team. Uh, Pat, why are you clearly saying that Aginla shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? Good point. You're right. I, I also don't think Aginla should be in the Hall of Fame. Only the Sedin should be in there. Uh, what else we got here? 
What is the criteria for voting of Hockey Hall of Fame? I agree Sadin should be in because of everything they did. Is there any international voting component to the Hall of Fame or is it all North American? It's supposed to take everything into account, but I don't. there's no actual criteria as to what goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got here at 960-960? Would they have, this, have had the same success if they were on their own respectively? I, I really don't know if they would. In fact, I don't believe they would have been the same. But they, we never saw it, so it doesn't matter in my eyes. Like, what they would have been individually is irrelevant because they never played individually, so we never saw it, and all we saw them was as a tandem. And by the way, they were pretty darn productive when guys went down. Remember when Daniel Sedin got elbowed by Duncan Keith? Henrik Sedin was pretty productive yeah. on his own after that. Well, I mean, so 2009-2010, um, Daniel Sedin played 63 games. He had uh, an injury that year. Henrik had 112 points. So, I mean, it's it's not like he just completely fell apart. He didn't just pack on 112 points in 63 games, and the other 19 he was useless. I mean, there was he was pretty good when uh, when Daniel went down with an injury. By the way, Theo Fleury 100% should be in the Hall of Fame. But it's yeah. almost like I've, I'm banging my head against the wall the amount of times I've said that. I believe it wholeheartedly. Still hasn't changed. Uh, coming up on Friday, Lou's Mailbag with Peter Labardius as part of Hockey Central at noon. Get your questions in right now, sportsnet.ca slash 960. We read a question on Fridays in the noon hour. If it's yours, you can win a pair of lower bowl seats to an upcoming Flames home game and a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Lou's Mailbag's brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Making celebrations unforgettable is one of their many specialties. You bring the occasion, they'll bring the perfection. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. This is Pinder and Steinberg underway on a Wednesday. Sportsnet 960. 60 the fan pinder and steinberg in the afternoon brought to you by glenmore Audi sportsnet 960 the fan welcome back to the program calgary roughnecks big win over the weekend 13-9 over the new york riptide that improves their record to three and four on the year and also their first home win of the season next off this weekend next game february 22nd on the road when they take on the georgia swarm Time for our Calgary Roughnecks spotlight with the one and only Jeff Snyder. We'll welcome in our featured guest in just a couple of minutes as well. But big win for the Roughnecks. They needed they needed a home win more than anything else. Oh man, did they ever! Um, you know, and and New York's struggling. It's it's great. You know, I thought they played regardless of the struggle that New York's been having. I thought New York played a, a very good game, but uh, the Roughnecks were just too much. It was a big win for them. I think uh, um, you know certainly something they needed at home, but. Uh, uh, definitely a complete game for them. First complete game I've seen them play at home this season. And it was the type of game where, like, you got to be pretty happy. Nine goals against, that's that's a solid outing in, in an NLL game. Absolutely, but they've been doing that all year. Um, you know, they haven't really been blown up on yet. And, and you know, a couple of close games early on. And, and man, they, you know, I think Colorado was here. It was like a 7-6 game or something like that. I can't remember the score, but um, they've been doing that all year long. So that's been really consistent. But I think what was really, you know, most notably consistent was if you look at the score sheet, it's just it, it was just a dial tone of pressure throughout the entire game. And that's what they kind of lacked in the last game against um, Halifax. They had, you know, a nine goal or seven. Nine goal run in a quarter, um, which wasn't uh, one of their best showings. But I think last game they really put together a complete effort. Now another bye week. It's it's just a bizarre schedule this year. So many 
so many start, start and stops. Like they, they win this game, a good game, and then no chance to carry that momentum over into the following weekend. They don't play again until Feb 22nd. Yeah, you get used to that. I think the ownership probably would be more, you know, you'd like to have more games going on rather than, you know, and sure, being away, being at home, like it, it'd be nice to have a little bit more consistency in terms of getting fans out and, and driving the, you know, the growth of the sport and complementing the efforts of what, um, you know, the, the Calgary sport is, is doing with respect to, you know, growing the game here mm-hmm. in the city. Um, so I'm sure they'd like that a little bit different. I know that, you know, just in terms of what's going on, if you think back a few weeks, um, you know, I think they've kind of got the, I, I may get in trouble for saying this, but the short straw from the NLL a little bit, um, you know, they had to, they had a crazy travel schedule coming in from San Diego. They get in, you know, they get in late, they get penalized, they get a goal against on that penalty and they end up losing by one goal. So, you know, I think uh, collectively they've uh, they've had the short straw this year. But I, I'm not complaining. I'm going. Uh, I'm heading up to Invermere to see our buddy Manny this weekend. So um, Manny Osborne parody on the mend from that bad crash, and he's a good buddy of mine. So I'm going to spend some time with him. So no roughnecks action this weekend. They're back at it Feb 22 on the road in Georgia. Next home game for the Calgary Roughnecks is Saturday, February 29th. They're at home to the San Diego Seals. That's the superhero party at the Scotiabank Saddledome. 7:30 faceoff. That's the next home game. Next game overall is February 22nd in Georgia. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Jeff Snyder. It's our Calgary Roughnecks spotlight every Wednesday on Pinder and Steinberg. It's time to welcome in our featured guest for this week. We say hello to Shane. Simpson, one of uh, Calgary's transition specialists. You've got former Roughneck Jeff Snyder along with us. Shane, how are you doing today? Good, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Appreciate no problem. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, tell us about the win on Saturday night before anything else. That had to be nice to finally get your first home win of the season. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, like I said before, it was, uh, it was a long time coming. Uh, it felt like it's been a while since we got one there. I haven't got one this year, and uh, obviously the last one that we got at home was 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 really special. Before this one, uh, being able to bring the championship back to Calgary in 2019, but um, yeah, that one was definitely overdue, and uh, I'm glad that we pulled out the two points there on Saturday night. What'd you like about the game itself and the way you played? I think we had a pretty balanced scoring effort. Delves played great in net. Uh, he got the ball out pretty quick, which uh, in turn helped. Uh, the transition game, our uh, our D was tough uh, from the inside out. Uh, I think they only had a couple power play goals, and, and then you're going to get a few five-on-five five goals here and there. Uh, but uh, overall, it looked good uh, from the defensive and transition end. And then, and then we had guys that were going hard down the middle and banging, crashing bodies uh, up front, which is was great to see. It's great to see Tyler Pace playing well up front. Uh, when he goes, uh, I, I think the rest of the guys go as well up there. So um, it's nice to see us putting up uh, double digits up front. And uh, I think that'll be even, even we'll, we'll put a little bit more gas on the flame as we welcome back Dane Doby this week as well. No doubt about it. That's uh, going to be a big time return for your group. You think about it, you're three and four on the year and now you get last year's MVP back. I know you don't want to get complacent and say, well, problems are solved, but how big a deal could that be for your group? Yeah, I mean, uh, Kurt said this uh, in his post-game interview. I think we're 9-1 and one last year when we had a full squad. Uh, so when we put all the pieces together, we know that we have a team that can compete for, for a championship. Dove is obviously a, a huge piece to that puzzle, uh, as well as Jesse King. It's going to be nice to get him back as well. Um, obviously, uh, we don't want to get complacent. We, we aren't complacent. That's not the group that we, we have, and that's not what's preached to us on an everyday basis in the locker room and from the coaching staff. 
Uh, we're going to keep uh, trying to be the hardest working uh, group in the league, uh, loose balls and all that stuff. So, um, of course, it's going to be nice to get him back. But as it sits right now, we're under 500 and we're out of a playoff spot. So yeah. there's definitely no complacency on, on our squad right now. we got to go and we got to put, put together a few wins here. How would you sum up the way your group has played through seven games so far? You know what? It's uh, it's been tough uh, because I heard you guys alluding to it a little bit here. It's it's been tough uh, from from the scheduling standpoint of things. Um, coming in and out of games, you're, you're doing double bye weeks and and uh, and you're kind of sitting out and you're trying to keep yourself in shape at the gym and stuff like that. And you're kind of chomping at the bit when you're seeing teams go flying by in the standings because you're sitting at home and you're not playing. But, um, I mean, we've done well with what we've had so far this year. We've had a lot of injuries. We've had a lot of uh, tough hand-me-downs from the, uh, from the NLL there. But, um, I mean, all the excuses aside, we're a 3-4 and four team right now, and, and that's all we can look at. And what's in the past is in the past. Uh, we have to learn, and, uh, and we have to go forward. If you look back at 2019, we – we were sitting around 500 all year until we put together a full team and then we made a run at it. So um, we're going to have a nice stretch of games coming up here in, in March and in February, March and April. So uh, hopefully we can string together some kind of momentum and, and put together a nice run like we did last year. We're in conversation with Roughnecks transition man Shane Simpson on our Calgary Roughnecks Spotlight. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Jeff Snyder, the former member of the Calgary Roughnecks Knights. Yeah, I got to say, uh, you know, Shane, I love your game, man. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, last last game, obviously two and two. Um, you know, I love watching your break out of the zone for me. Um, you know, going to the net was a big thing, but um, I, I love watching your little. You know, you you break out of the zone and you kind of like you're like waiting for Delbs to give you the ball, and then someone gets a little close to you, and then you're like gone. So do you do you find that uh, you know what, knowing your your NCAA career, I can I can certainly understand why Coach Brushy would have uh, had an affinity to you. Um, uh, you know, playing and, and getting out in the open in the field. Do you, uh, uh, you know, do you test a lot of your success, um, you know, as a late, I, I thought that was a great game that you played last week. And, and, um, you know, do you, uh, do you, do you attribute a lot of your success you're having right now to your experience in North Carolina? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I would definitely say so. Uh, I, I grew as a person when I was there, uh, as well as, as an athlete and, and one thing that has that did come to me over my career at North Carolina was just confidence. Uh, obviously, coming in, I, I did end up. I was fortunate enough to play as a freshman. Didn't have much confidence there, playing with guys four years older, and and I kind of find myself in in kind of the same predicament uh, last year. I was in and out of the lineup, uh, hard to get into a rhythm. Kind of was bouncing back and forth. Was on offense. Was on defense. Uh, and and one thing that I've kind of learned is to stick with it. Uh, and to be confident in my abilities. Um, obviously, Calgary picked me up in the draft in, uh, last year, and, uh, and they traded back for me. So obviously, they see my abilities. I just have to be confident in myself. And, and, uh, and in the last few games, I've, I've kind of realized that, uh, that, I, that I should be confident and that uh, I can play on the, on the same level and, and the level that, I've, uh, that I have played at in the past at North Carolina. Well, we got a, uh, you know, obviously um, we do we do a lot uh, out here in, in preparation, trying to get kids prepared for the NCAA. And, and um, you know, 
I would hope that none of them are listening to this right now because they're all in school <laughs> studying. But if you, you know, if you had anything out there for, um, you know, somebody making that transition, obviously going from, you know, being arguably one of the best players, uh, you know, on your club team or in your, you know, your junior team heading into North Carolina, which is a, you know, perennial, you know, top 10, if not top 20 program in the NCAA. Do you have, you know, any advice for, um, you know, let's say, uh, you know, the kids that are not listening or parents that can pass that along to these, uh, to these young men and women when they make that transition into the NCAA? Yeah. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, it's, you kind of alluded to it there. It's keeping your head down and grinding. You won't get on the field if, if your academics aren't in line. And I'm sure that you preach that to your guys uh, day in and day out. Uh, some people don't really believe it, but uh, the grades are the key to getting on the field for sure. Um, if you can't put together uh, good grades in the classroom, then uh, how's coach going to trust you with the playbook? Things like that. Um, but other than that, it's uh, a big thing for me was getting in the weight room for sure uh, at North Carolina. Um, I went into college as a 170 pound, six foot one freshman. Uh, I could fly like I, I do now, but uh, I've put on 30, 35 pounds since then. And, uh, and that's definitely helped with my game, even up until this point. I'm still working to get into the best physical shape that I can. Um, and then the other thing that I would just throw out to those kids is just to be coachable. Um, if the coach wants you to dodge down the side of the field and throw the ball through X, meaning behind the net, and not even look at the goal, uh, then that's what you have to do. If your coach wants you to be a defensive midfielder, and you're predominantly an offensive guy your whole life, you know what? You might have to put the goal-scoring ability uh, in the back seat until you can finally figure out that defensive end. And that's one thing that Coach Bresci preached to us at North Carolina was that you had to be able to play defense before you could play offense. And, uh, and a lot of Canadian guys uh, didn't understand that. I was one, one of the guys that kind of picked that up early and took it to heart. And unfortunately, uh, that got me on the field pretty early at Carolina. I think I, I should preface that we didn't speak before this, right? Is that correct? We did not. I did not set you up for any of that. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to throw something at you, and, and it might catch you off guard. Are you ready? Can you handle it on air? I'll try. All right, so I, I, a good friend of mine, you might know her actually, Catherine Hayden, um, played on the yeah. women's field hockey team, um, You know, very close with the Hayden family, and, and uh, um, Mark is a, a partner in, in Northline Lacrosse, which is a, a brand that we're, you know, we're championing here a little bit, um, to get off the ground from a Canadian lacrosse standpoint. Um, but I was recently down, I watched them play, um, in the, uh, in their quarterfinals, um, en route to their second national championship back to back, which is, you know, they've got a crazy, the longest standing, um, NCAA undefeated record right now. Um, and I was down in North Carolina and I was, I was, you know, asking questions as I do and being, a, a you know, annoying. And, and uh, I'm curious if you understand where Pat, what's the word? Help me out here. Etymology. The etymology. Um, I, I try to sound a lot smarter than I am on the air, but Pat has to bail me out. Um, the etymology of the Tar Heel. Where does that come from? Do you know? Oh my God. Oh. Oh. I mean, if you guys could explain it to me a little bit better than I know, that would be, that would be great. But. All right, Pat, you as know, far as I, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead I know. It's yeah. just the, it's just the, it's just the lay of the land back. Uh, when it, it's one of the oldest, uh, I think it is the oldest public university in, in the U S and of course there's slavery back in the day. And, um, I think it came from, from the tobacco fields is 
Um, that's that's pretty much all I know. Okay, so and uh, how how they put together the Tar Heel and and our mascot, the Ram, is totally beyond me. But <laughs> fair enough. Kind of fair enough. That's the point. <laughs> I think that may have had some sort of uh, there there needed to transition probably out of that from a colonial period. But Pat, you so, looked it you looked it up. This is this is unfair. So yeah, so I'm 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 now going to I'm now going to educate myself thanks to Wikipedia. Uh, the origins of the Tar Heel nickname trace back to North Carolina's prominence in the mid-18th and 19th century as a pr- producer of turpentine, tar, and other materials from the state's plentiful pine trees. Um, it was for <clears throat> poor people who worked to produce tar, and uh, apparently that's where it comes from. And Wikipedia, you are a liar. And Shane, I commend you on your efforts. Um, the, the name actually stems, it became slang and what it stemmed for was from the civil wars. It was a slang name for guys that stuck on the front lines and didn't retreat. Really? Yes. So it stems from the reason why it has that in the university is that Tar Heels don't retreat and, and they stand firm and they, through the toughest battles. And so that's where the, uh, uh, the word evolved from in correlation to the fighting spirit that the Tar huh. Heels have at their university. Well, I so, like that. I like that uh, one. That one's way better than, than either answer that. we got. Shane, yeah. you, you definitely do not have Tar on your on your heels, man. Watching you run up and down the floor, keep it up, man. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying watching uh, watching you go to the rack. Keep that up. If there's one thing that uh, you usually rattled, Kurt, was when I took the ball to the net more than often. But uh, I got to tell you, big difference last game, man. Two and two, you're fantastic. I uh, I really uh, really enjoy watching your athleticism out there, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really well, appreciate it. Just before we let you go, uh, I do have to ask. I, I got like two or three more questions oh, for you. you. We're with Shane Simpson. And I, by the way, I like your your Tar Heel etymologies way better than what Wikipedia gave us. Way better. That's why you guys have me on here. <laughs> uh, Shane Simpson of the Roughnecks is with us. I got to ask you because, you know, the first thing you think about when thinking about the University of North Carolina is Michael Jordan and basketball and that huge rivalry with Duke. But. Yeah, you like lacrosse is huge in that area of the United States. So where does the men's lacrosse team rank in terms of your status on campus and and how popular it is? Basketball is one. But then where does lacrosse fit after that? And Shane, just so you are aware, this stems from Tyler Pace talking about being the man on campus, and I didn't get to experience that. At that's Denver, right but, in Denver. That's yeah, right. but Tyler had a very, uh, a very casual way of talking about how uh, how awesome the DU lacrosse team was. So uh, this yeah. may set us up for future answers, but please feel free to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was recruited by schools like Hopkins and and like Syracuse, where that was the that was the focal point of their pitch. It was, do you want to be the guy on campus, or do you want to or do you want to not be the guy basically? And, and I mean, I've been a Tar Heel fan since I was, since I got my first blue hat at probably six years old. So I've been a Tar Heel basketball fan my whole life. And, uh, and that's kind of what it came down to as that was the decision for me. I wanted the full college experience. I wanted to, you know, go to a football game on Saturday and then, uh, and then, you know, in those November nights when football was wrapping up, you, you get to a Tuesday night game after study hall um, in front of whatever it would be, 25, 30,000 people, whatever that arena holds, just crazy amounts of, of fans. And and the nice thing about Carolina is that everybody's wearing the Tar Heel blue around school. There's a lot of school spirit. So to answer your question, you know, no, we weren't the big guys. If, if uh, you know, Justin Jackson was, uh, in my math class for a time and, and there'd be times when everybody's taking pictures of him 
definitely nobody knew who I was, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, I mean, it's okay because the guy's making, I don't know, 10, 15 million bucks a year now. So probably deserve the attention. Um, but no, I, I mean, we did, we were pretty popular on campus. Um, our, our extracurricular activities on the weekends were, uh, were well attended, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so there was definitely no, no underperformance, uh, in the extracurriculars, um, <laughs> around campus. Uh, yeah, we, we were fun guys to be around. So in terms of off the field popularity, um, if we're not talking about shock factor and, and stuff like that, I think we rank about number one on campus. Okay. Okay. That's good to hear. And you've got to tell us about, okay. So 2016, you win the NCAA national championship. You won that game over Maryland in overtime and you won an NLL championship over Buffalo also in overtime. Uh, where where did those two rank for you? Winning a national title with North Carolina, winning a NLL championship with Calgary. They're, are they about on par, knowing how crazy both were? Yeah, yeah, they were both surreal experiences. Um, you know what, to be completely honest, I think the NCAA one was a little bit more important to me just because I didn't think that I would ever get one. I think kind of coming into the NLL, it's not a given, of course. You have to work your tail off for it, and and you have to get lucky, absolutely. I was very fortunate to get one my first year. But the nature of the beast is there's only X amount of teams in the NLL, 12 teams this year, whatever it is, 13. And uh, and there's 70, 80 teams in, in the NCAA, and and um, just the grind that you go through every single morning, uh, 6, 6 a.m. hits, 5.30 a.m. hits, and you're wishing that your alarm didn't go off uh, every single day of the school year. Uh, it was a surreal experience to bring that together with, uh, with some brothers that, you know, I didn't think that I would ever get that experience because we were an unranked team going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you basically and, upset uh, everybody along the way, right? Exactly. I mean, we knew that we could do it. It was kind of like our Calgary team last year. We knew just because we were sitting at 500, it, it didn't matter to us. We uh, we were going to put it together, and and we knew that we had the best team. Uh, that was kind of like um, like our NCAA team there at Carolina. We had a really balanced team, uh, no big egos. Everybody knew that what their job and their role was on the team, uh, and and yeah, that's still one that I go back and. And uh, and watch it. It still feels surreal even to this day. That's awesome. Well, That's I got awesome. I got to touch on that too because I man, that was a real. I know that how how important that was for Coach Brushy and and I know you know I say that name and and it's not very recognizable here in Canada. But um, you know I, when I was playing at Denver, Coach Brushy actually lost um, lost a son in in a really tragic accident, and uh, you know he had been grinding and grinding and grinding with uh, with Ohio State. He ended up moving to North Carolina, building the program that you guys did. I can't imagine how. Um, you know, special that was for, uh, you know, for him with your group and, and, you know, such a great answer, man. I think people really take that for granted. Your, your collegiate career is so finite. Your junior lacrosse career is so finite. That's what makes Minto Cup so special and, and, you know, NCAA mm-hmm. championships so special. So, you know, I, I'm sure that uh, correlates a testament to the type of locker room that you guys had and the type of group, you know, that, that you guys put together for Coach Brush. Yeah, I think that was his first, was it not? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. I think he won one as a, as a, as an assistant coach, yep. uh, I think he actually got really unlucky 
he was a senior in high school committed to Carolina when they won. And then he was there for four years. He was something like a first team all American, all four years was a very good player. And then he graduated and he was on the coaching staff as an assistant, uh, helping out basically volunteer assistant coach. And they won one. So they won one on bookends of his career there at Carolina and he didn't win one in his coaching career up until 2016. So uh, it was a long time coming for, for him. And I owe a lot of my success to, to coach Bresci and, and the man that he's, he's raised me to be. I mean, I look at, at him like a, a second father, um, you know, not a lot of guys can do that with their college coaches and can go in and talk to the guy about anything, anything in the world. And um, yeah, I owe a lot of, of my success, uh, both on the field and off the field to, uh, to the person that he's made me. That's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah. It's great, Shane. That's great, Shane. Thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Good luck. Uh, I, you got a bye week this weekend. So good luck next weekend on the road in Georgia. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here in Calgary on Feb 29 against San Diego. Thanks for doing this today. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That is Shane Simpson of the Calgary Roughnecks. Scored a pretty nice one on Saturday as well. Kind of elevates to make sure he doesn't uh, violate the crease rule. Uh, Scores it early to make it 2-0 in favor of the Roughnecks in that win over New York. He's he's already set career highs this year. Looks like he's going to be one of the more dangerous transition guys in the NA, in the NLL going forward. Yeah, I love watching his game. Pay attention to to those guys that, that are that are out there listening that are Roughnecks fans. Is his his like change of speed when he catches the ball and then separates himself? It's almost like it's you're watching like uh, you know someone separate themselves from a pack in a in a hundred yard dash. It's it's incredible to watch and and uh, you know testament to to his athleticism. What's going on at Elevate Lacrosse? Man, lots on the go. We got uh, spring camp on deck. Um, we're pumped. We got a, a goalie, our first ever goalie-specific camp coming up. Really? Um, yeah, it's really cool. So Adam Shute, um, he was out with Saskatchewan, but uh, an incredible guy. He's doing uh, PhD work here in the city um, in, uh, I think, microbiology, uh, which is awesome. And then he still finds time to come out and work with us over the winter, which is great. Um, he's doing a goalie-specific camp um, You know, prior to the start of the season. We're going to tune, uh, tune up all the goalies. There's nothing going on in the city right now. Uh, that's uh, that's looking like that. We've got spring camp coming up on public and separate break, and um, now we're crushing it in the schools. Uh, the team is doing awesome. Dan Taylor's doing great. Um, Bob's obviously uh, on the front lines of that, and then we've got uh, Kyle Burrow and Merritt Bailey that are out there, um, you know, in schools and and uh, at, you know, a big testament to to the Calgary Roughnets. Um, you know, I think for uh, for what's going on with that classroom lacrosse program, they're putting. Uh, uh, tickets in, in, in kids' hands to come to the games and, and come check out the sport. And, um, you know, so for those of you who are out there that have uh, received tickets, I uh, hope you come back and hope you keep coming back because, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic sport and we're super pumped about, um, uh, that relationship with them as well. So there's the Coles notes. Uh, for more on Elevate Lacrosse, go to elevatelacrosse.com. Uh, Jeff Snyder is the proprietor of such and a great way to <laughs> get your uh, to get your kid into athletics, get them into lacrosse, even introduce themselves to the sport of lacrosse. It's a great uh, it's a great way to get your kids involved. Uh, it's not just that. I think we're 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 pretty pumped about um, you know instilling character, you know, developing a positive culture around the sport and and driving compete level. You know, just not just in sports, but 
just in general in the community and life. So, um, you know, it's a big focus for us. And, and uh, if we can use lacrosse, a game that we fell in love with to help do that, I think we're, uh, we're checking some boxes. Thanks, Knights. We'll talk to you next week. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you. He's Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse. Thanks to the Calgary Roughnecks and Shane Simpson for joining us on our Roughnecks Spotlight this week. Pinder and Steinberg is well underway. We've got a big game in L.A. and a ton to talk about from the hockey world coming up next. That's as Pinder joins Pinder and Steinberg. Next, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.